Alternative ways of seeing, being and doing are vital in imagining and building the future. In October 2019, the Emerging Writers Festival collaborated with Art Centre Melbourne to produce a series of talks titled Critical Conversations as part of the inaugural Future Echoes Festival. In this episode of the EWF podcast, hear theatre maker Casper Plum and writer, producer and drag activist Danny Weber speak to the inimitable Mama Alto about experiences and expressions of gender, performance and community beyond the confines of binaries. Hello everyone and welcome to Future Echoes Critical Conversations, Episode 3, Transcending Gender. Presented by Digital Writers Festival, Emerging Writers Festival and recorded live here at Art Centre Melbourne as part of the inaugural Future Echoes Festival, Critical Conversations invites you to engage with the arts, the world, the present and the future. Before we begin today's discussion and podcast, we acknowledge the owners of the land and waters where we are gathered, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nations, and we pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging, as well as any Indigenous and First Nations peoples who may be joining us here today. Always was, always is and always will be Aboriginal land. So, critical conversations, alternative ways of seeing, being and doing are vital in imagining and building the future. Our critical conversations series brings the future into the present, centering voices that are often marginalised, looking beyond access, centering indigeneity, transcending gender and placing artists at the centre of social change. Today in episode three of Critical Conversations, Transcending Gender, let's refocus on experiences and expressions of gender to take a journey into performance and community beyond the confines of the binary. Today we're in for a discussion exploring gender, performance, community, connectivity and inclusion. Where do gender and performance intersect with and depart from one another? How does one approach performance whilst existing outside of binaries? We're going to chat about what it means to transcend gender in life and in art, as well as what it might mean in the futures that we imagine ourselves to be heading towards and creating. I'm Mama Alto and I'll be your hostess for the next hour or so. And joining me on the panel today are artists, performers and emerging leaders, Casper Plum and Danny Weber. So to introduce our first panelist, also known as drag performer Danny Boy, Danny Weber is a speaker, events producer, and non-binary dragtivist who is passionate about busting the gender binary. So, Danny, to begin today's discussion, uh, can we hear some of your thoughts on how performance creates space to explore gender fluidity? And as part of that, can you unpack a bit more a statement that you gave uh, over a year ago now to The Guardian that performance and drag create expansive art to explore, activate, and celebrate our diversity as humans. Lovely. Thanks, Mama Alto. I am so excited to talk about this topic. I think constantly about um, myself and the friends I see who are able to perform, whether it's hopping up on stage or even attending a queer performance night and having that permission to dress how they feel, just how they want to explore, dress in a way that they wish to experiment in and then even step away from. And having that ability to do that means that we can create a safe container for exploration of who we are. This cannot be overstated how important it is because 
when someone is exploring their gender, perhaps thinking that they would love to depart from the gender they were assigned at birth, having the space to try different things on, see people's reactions to it, feel in our own selves, that experience, means that we can get a bit closer to finding our, our truth, finding our truths, even, that's, even that, if it's multiple. So I really feel like performance, I know in my experience, has meant that I can explore my masculine side. I'm assigned female at birth and it helps me see the corners of my identity and see what's possible. That experience has been so empowering and amazing for me and honestly, I think performance and um, art and, you know, nightclub spaces and that can be incredible but I'd love to see even more spaces um, because... I know that's only accessible by certain members of community as well. And there are some there are some theorists in the gender theory realm, in the queer theory realm, um, who talk about the performativity of gender and talk about all gender expression, not just on stage as a performance. Do you feel like that's accurate, or do you feel like that's necessary for people who are pursuing uh, transcending gender in their performances? Do you think that's an essential toolkit or do you think that it's something that is sometimes parallel but not an essential core belief for people doing this work? What's your relationship to that kind of high theory approach? Mm, the theory of, um, let me clarify, um, u- utilising gender performance in transcending gender? Um, that theory that all everyday behaviours of gender mm, are performances in themselves Uh, how would that kind of theory interact with what you do? Because I know that some people who perform in ways that transcend gender cling to that as a kind of essential understanding of the world. Some reject it completely and some just don't pay attention to it. So where do you... And they're all relevant and um, valid ways of approaching gender, but how do you feel in relation to your performances Mm. with that theory? Nice one. I think, so I, I've been embracing being non-binary for about, I'd say, four years now. And uh, at the start of my journey with that, it was very empowering for me to say, yes, every day is drag, every day is gender performance. In fact, I'm probably quoted in an article saying that, I think, uh, about three years ago. And that was really great for me because, frankly, I love being gender fluid. I love presenting in ways that are feminine for me. Um but I think as time has gone on as well, um, I, yeah, I, I think there's performance art when we're on stage and as a performer who gets paid to perform too, like I recognise that as a um, very intentional performance. And sometimes day to day, I want to just wear what I'm wearing and not have it be as, um, have a critical lens, if that makes sense. And I think that um, I used to, in my experience, wake up every morning and think, cool, what gender presentation am I doing today? And that can be really exciting, but also can be quite a lot of pressure for someone who's, in quotes, gender non-conforming. Um, I'm really excited about people being able to adopt that high, high theory as an empowering thing, and I don't think it's mandatory um, to put that on everyone. Some great uh, starter points for our discussion today. To introduce our second panellist for today, Casper Plum, With an interest in all types of arts and activism, trans guy Casper Plum works in theatre performances surrounding world issues and the body. Casper, you've described yourself in your artist bio as having your mind opened by your experiences of gender and gender inequality, and also about your interest in the power of the arts to educate people about issues surrounding gender and discrimination. Can you tell us a bit 
some of your thoughts on how the arts can make change in the world, particularly in these areas? Yeah, of course. Um, I think through my experiences, um, just struggling uh, with body image and also the discrimination towards trans people, you become more of an open-minded person, which kind of um, has made me more of an open-minded person about like racism and sexism um, and, you know, all that. Um, And I'm in a show called We All All Know What's Happening, which is about refugees living on Nauru um, and just the terrible conditions that they're living in. But I don't think that I would be in that show if I wasn't trans because I wouldn't be more of an open-minded person, if you understand what I mean. Definitely. And that way in which your own experiences of oppression and discrimination um, attune you to being considerate of the way oppression and and systems of oppression operate in other people's lives. um, I'm going to skip ahead to a question that I prepared now that you've mentioned we all know what's happening. So regarding politics and performance, uh, Casper, you were centrally and integrally involved in the production We All Know What's Happening. As you've mentioned, a theatre piece surrounding asylum seekers, Nauru, and the cruelty towards refugee children by the Australian government. Uh, so the artist statement from the program guide, which I believe all of the all of the cast members collaborated to write that statement, mentions, and I quote, the politics of this work are intentionally palpable. And the statement goes on to discuss the particular tension uh, where the audience's works and the audience, uh, the audience for the work and the theatre makers like yourself of the work are of similar age to some of the detained children and youth and how that particularly attunes you, makes you more sensitive or empathetic perhaps to depicting and representing their stories in a cultural and media environment that is often hiding those stories. So can you speak to your experience uh, with reference to this work, to We All Know What's Happening, as well as some of your other work, can you speak to your experiences of meshing politics into performances in this way? Yeah. Um, I actually came into the show later on in the second season. My friend Theo and I um, both joined you later on. Um, And I found that because we were the similar age of um, the children living on Nauru, or I should say trapped on Nauru, um, it's it's more heartwarming for the the audience because they become more aware of... Because we are just like the children on Nauru and we are living such privileged lives whilst they are... yeah, not in the best conditions. Um, So I think that, yeah, we've had like a lot of people come up to us and be like, you really opened my mind up and you've really shown me that this isn't right. Um, And yeah, that's that's what I really like about performing is that you can really tell a story and open people's minds up about a situation. Yeah. I'm going to throw back to Danny because in your work as dragtivist artist activist Danny Boy, um, a lot of your work enmeshes the political, the personal into a forum where people become more comfortable, as Casper's indicated, through storytelling, through artwork to confront very deep and sometimes very troubling issues or issues that are unfamiliar to them that they might not ordinarily engage with. Um, So can you talk a bit to your experiences of enmeshing the political into your 
performance work, particularly regarding your amazing club and drag performances as Danny Boy? I'm really excited and enthusiastic about the transformative power of art. I think when folks go along to a show, um, they come with an uh, open mind, open heart, or even more so maybe the um, entertainment factor of it endears them towards the situation. And then being able to insert political um, ideas, to insert um, marginalised experiences and voices, uh, gives people the opportunity to sit back, listen, learn, um, while, yes, being entertained as well. And I think, yeah, I know through um, so much of human history that's been a really effective way to help people to, to deeply understand um, different ideas. And I think through Danny Boy, uh, I'll speak to um, some feedback I got once, which is I had a performance duet with a drag queen where um, I was playing this kind of toxic male character who was hitting her up constantly, you know, um, hassling her, not respecting her boundaries. And then she got to turn on him and um, kind of teach him a lesson. And I know for a lot of women in the room who've had that experience, they found it just so um, amazing to see that depicted. And even um, the feedback was, it emboldened them to feel like they they want to remind themselves how important it is to, to push back against that toxic male culture and that they don't deserve that. Um, so I think there's twofold there. I'm, I'm ideally empowering the folks who are in the audience who've had that experience and also maybe folks who could teach it towards that toxic experience or who have friends who have that toxic experience um, can walk away critically thinking about it more so. I'll add to this that while I love um, infusing activism into my art as Danny Boy as well, um, I also will jump to say I run a performance night called the Cocoa Butter Club and in particular, I love the power of um, an MC in a night, being able to guide and contextualise some performance. Um, I love MCing myself as well. So when there's someone there to remind people of a safety of a space, create a container, um, debrief or intro performance in a certain way, that's when we can turn the dial on lots of issues as well. My next question ties in a little bit to this. As performers, our identities, especially uh, in our cases regarding issues of gender and sexuality for today's discussion, uh, these are often at the forefront of our work just by the very nature of our visual presence on the stage. So I was wondering if you could both speak to your performances of the layers of identity that you embed in your work. Caspar, uh, I'm especially thinking of your performances with Minus 18 and Danny, I'm especially thinking of some of your work in forums such as the Cocoa Butter Club, which is an intersectional uh, performance arena that meshes issues of sexuality, queerness, gender and colour, as well as many others. Uh, so whoever would like to go first, to recap, just talking about your experiences of embedding layers of identity, uh, the motivations behind embedding those layers of identity, but also how it feels for you as a performer to be able to so uh, self-awarely present and bring your full self to the table in those performance settings. Um, yeah, uh, Minus 18 is an organisation for uh, mostly people under 18 um, and it's just a friendly space for queer people. Um, to party and chat and make new friends. Um, and I've performed a number of their events just dancing. I don't dance anymore, but um, yeah. Um, and it's a very welcoming space and you don't 
feel like you need to be a different person. So every action that I made, every dance mood that I made, I wouldn't, I wouldn't feel judged at all because and what I was wearing even, how I was expressing myself. No one, um, yeah, everyone is very understanding in those spaces, which, yeah, I've noticed in other spaces I'm not very confident and I'm not okay to go in the middle of the dance circle and dance along. So, um, yeah, but I will add that I did come out through theatre and um, that has been a really, really amazing experience for me because I'm still friends with my old director that I came out with and I'm still doing shows with her. So, um, yeah, just coming out and then I'm on hormones now. So I've, like, come a long way through theatre and it's only been, like, two years. So, yeah, it's been good. That's so fantastic to hear. Um, I would say... Uh, so personally, as Danny and Danny Boy, I uh, really think carefully about what identities and bring into a performance. Um, in particular, uh, as a person of colour who's South Asian, so of specifically Sri Lankan heritage, um, I was like, oh man, I really want to find a way to infuse that into my performances. That said, I was born in this country and don't have a lot of ties to my lang language and heritage and cultural dance or any of that. Um, so I was thrilled one day when I was doing a performance um, in San Francisco at a mostly um, like cis, cisgender gay bar. But um, someone comes up to me and goes, Danny boy, I'd love to do a duet with you. I have um, a Bollywood song I'd love to do with you. And it was someone of um, Pakistani origin. And I was thrilled. So it was through, it's been through other artists and collaborators. I've been able to find my way to different expressions of my culture and doing performances I feel like match so well with how I'm perceived and, you know, the colour of my skin. That said, I don't want to push that. I need to also um, perform Western songs because that's what I grew up with and what I know too. Um, and as for uh, the Cocoa Butter Club, we say to our performers, so it's a performance night for uh, centering Indigenous and or people of colour. Um, but we also say to them, there's no pressure to be political or to bring, you know, anti-racism dialogue into your performances. That would be defeating the purpose. That would be catering to, again, a white audience to um, be, be a certain way and make a certain point and have to offer up our identities always. So I really cherish the variety of performances that are brought to the table because, frankly... Inherently, a person of colour being on stage performing, a um, transgender and gender diverse person being on stage performing, it is pretty radical and out there and we don't need to um, make a spectacle of it and push the envelope necessarily to make a point. <laughs> I think it's very interesting how both of you touched a bit in those answers. Both of, both of you have touched on the idea that for many people, uh, for many people in the performing arts who come from a dominant or mainstream cultural group, performance might be a way that they pretend to be someone else. But for us, sometimes performance allows us to discover or explore our own selves. Both of you in your artworks help audiences grapple with, explore or understand issues surrounding identity. Uh, but could I ask you both, can you elaborate more? Because you've begun both in all your answers so far to talk about this a bit, but I'd love to hear more in-depth uh, expansions on this. Could I ask you both what and how would you feel the performing arts has helped you to explore and understand your own identities? Uh, you mentioned it helped in your coming out process, but certainly 
can we hear a bit more detail about how the performing arts and being a performer allowed you to explore who you are and to start living that? Um, In 2017, I was in a theatre performance called uh, Book of Exodus, part two. Um, And this was with a whole bunch of kids my age, mostly younger. Um, And through this, I discovered my sexuality. Um, And it was amazing because as soon as I started, I started to realise new things about myself. And through that, I... Talk to the to talk to my directors about it. I talked to the artists in the show about it, um, and then we all sat down one day, and I just like started crying. And then the directors finished like my sentence off for me, and I was just like, "I'm," and then they were like, "I'm," they were like, "He's a boy," and then we had a chat just around pronouns because some of the kids weren't educated. Um, which is totally fine. They just hadn't gotten there yet, I guess. Um, But it was really amazing seeing how open-minded they were. Um, And then we did our first show that night and it was fine. And then from then on, they just kept learning and learning and I did too. Um, And then through my experiences, through We All Know What's Happening, um, we've um, been to another, a number of places Um, And I recently started Hormones and that was another big transition and they've seen me grow as a person, Um, which, yeah, just people seeing me grow as a person and noticing it and acknowledging it has been the best part for me, yeah. Danny, can we hear a bit about how performance, you indicated it a little bit in your earlier answers, but how performance helped you discover, maybe especially in some of your writing, you've discussed how... Uh, the club world and performance scene in San Francisco started to make you more aware of your own gender identity. Mm, absolutely. So something I speak about when I speak about myself as a drag performer is that I, you know, definitely don't feel like I'm um, performing as the opposite, in quotes, gender or um, acting even. Um, I don't have acting experience or dancing experience actually. I'm surprised people actually enjoy my show sometimes. I'm like, well, (laughs) I'm up there actually being a version of myself, just giving it my full enthusiasm because I am so excited to be expressing my hyper-masculine side in this moment, toying with it, dredging out the ugly and difficult parts. It's masculinities we probably all have in ourselves, right? Um, No matter what our gender is. And it's um, so so great for me to also have the name Danny day to day and the name Danny on stage as well because that's reflecting that it's different sides of me I'm not a caricature or character all good if some drag performers are having a different persona no worries um for me it's a different side of Danny now when I was in San Francisco I uh basically got into performing because I love lip syncing I was attending a drag show every week I was running a bar crawl actually uh, for tourists I'd go there being like oh I really I really love this and I really want to do this. Um, and then I had some choices to make. Am I going to be like hyper feminine, like a hyper queen or um, could I be a drag king? Then I didn't know a single drag king. Um, most I hadn't even heard of it really. Um, and it wasn't until I met someone who taught me how to lay hair. Um, you know, they even described you might feel like you're going through like a second puberty, um, which, I, which, you know, is a reality for trans people. I, I haven't um, had any transitional processes myself, but in, I have had a puberty in drag, I guess, which is to become Danny Boy and that drag king um, in my performance realm. So yeah, it's it was great to have that that mentorship and 
Um, also to discard some things too, because this um, some people used to say to me, oh, you can't move your hips if you're being a boy on stage or you can't do this and that. And I've, you know, I've written about this too to say that, um, one, that's super limiting for ideas of gender. Two, it's very... Um, coded in um, one, you know, one specific culture, for example, what, how a white man moves, you know, what if South Asian men do move their hips? In fact, they totally do. So yeah, for me, it was a big navigation of finding where I sit with this. Um, and at the end of the day, um, Danny Boy gives me amazing visibility in my gender. I'm so, so grateful for it. But I'm also feeling very privileged in it because I think Everyone knows I'm non-binary or gender fluid because I have an Instagram where I and have articles published talking about it. And I just wish that people could express themselves how they wish um, without having to be on stage performing it um, for their different sides of their genders to be seen too. Because for me, it's been incredibly validating, but that's just my specific experience. That's very interesting. It's something you've both mentioned just now is the way in which the performing arts world and the platform that it's given you has created safe spaces of gender expression and privileged spaces of gender expression where your gender is accepted and understood, where people who aren't involved in the performing arts might not have access to that kind of understanding, safe, exploratory environment. Mm. I've definitely noticed that more in the arts community there is more acceptance of being queer, um, which has been incredibly helpful for me, especially growing up with both of my parents are, are artists and they are extremely, extremely accepting. Um, and my mum, like, she introduced binding to me and she, like, um, told me, like, I once asked her, I was just like, can I just tell people that I'm a boy? And she was like, yeah, sure. So... And from her coming from the arts community, all of her friends from the arts community, and that has brought me, like, more acceptance, so, yeah. I can speak to that too to say that um, having um, some success as a performer, getting paid for it, having articles published has done wonders for my family acceptance. Um, my parents knew I always wanted to be a writer, so when I had my first article published in Archer magazine, I invited my dad to the launch. Um, I said to dad, it's an article about being a drag king and gender and I'm going to be Danny Boy. And he was like, well, okay, but he came along and I, I just don't think he would have ever seen Danny Boy if it wasn't for that, um, those accolades. He, but honestly, he came along and just turned the dial completely. He was comfortable with me being Danny Boy. He saw, um, it was a special non-binary issue as well. So he saw a lot of gender diverse folks. Um, and from that moment on, he was like, wow, I just realized that um, they're people like anyone else just living their lives. And now he's been to several Danny Boy shows, but he was quite a conservative Catholic Sri Lankan parent. And um, so I've been able to, yeah, have this comfort with my dad now, but you know, why does it take that? Why does it take that external validation? Um, and it's just so much more palatable because of, yes, um, having that, that platform performance and that, you know, chiselled image essentially. Which is a really interesting and very personal uh, real world example of the ways in which culture can create change and the way in which culture can, in the minds of people who otherwise might not be accepting or inclusive, in some ways legitimise different identities or different ways of living, mm. different in inverted commas, of course. Um, it's also great, Casper, to hear you talk about some of the relative privileges of your situation yeah. because in so many discussions about trans lives and from trans creatives, trans people with platforms, 
uh, there's often a big absence of acknowledging relative privileges and, and the ways in which that affects our community uh, and robs some people of a platform or a voice or representation. Um, Danny, I want to jump to another question that I had prepared based on some things in your answers about San Francisco. So you mentioned there a bit how some of the drag community that you were encountering, in fact, reinforced in, in the same hegemonic way that the dominant society reinforces gender binaries on people, some of the drag culture was also reinforcing strict ideas about who is allowed to behave or appear or present in certain ways and why. I want to explore that a bit more in an article that you wrote for The Guardian about the way your understanding of drag performance and your your relationship to drag performance has evolved and shifted and how it began in a place of discomfort but has now shifted to a place of empowerment. And you wrote, I also learned that drag performers had a legacy of busting the gender binary instead of upholding it with misogynistic stereotypes as we often see in mainstream drag cultures. And that many drag performers were trans and non-binary and that drag could be used as a vehicle for political expression and community activism. So I'd love to hear you talk a bit more about this because it's an ongoing um, debate or tension in artistic communities, in trans and gender diverse communities, in drag communities, and in the overlap between all of those communities, that a lot of traditional drag culture, a lot of mainstream and dominant drag culture can be very misogynist, can be based in transphobia, can reinforce negatives and binaries and oppressions and discriminations. But at the same time, there's a very rich history and ongoing present of underground club drag culture and of connections between drag and transness. Your career path and your life story and your journey in San Francisco and in Melbourne um, really ties into a lot of those issues. So I would love to hear you speak or elaborate on the richness, the contradictions, the feelings as a non-binary gender fluid person of encountering and beginning to shift those problems. Mm. Lovely. Well said. Um, I'll start by saying that I just had, you know, moved to, I was in San Francisco about five years ago. I moved there. I'd never even been to a drag show or thought about drag queens because all I'd ever heard was this misogynistic, tired old stereotype, this punching down comedy, um, this Which we still see far too much of. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, um, it's just the, it's the norm, it's a president, it's overwhelming. Um, and I just didn't know there was anything else. And I'm so lucky and grateful that I got to learn about more. Um, for example, in San Francisco, essentially I became a LGBT rights walking tour guide. And one of the stories that we spoke about was the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. So during the AIDS crisis in San Francisco, there was these drag queen nuns who were uh, beautiful caretakers of of the gay community, of the queer community, um, handing out safer sex leaflets, um, using gender play um, to subvert norms and to add some humour and lightness to the fact of there's an intense 
health crisis going on. So learning about that really showed me the um, amazing power of drag to um, draw attention, call attention, add some lightness um, to, for example, um, trans struggles, gender struggles. There, there can be so much heaviness and struggle in our communities. Drag can be such a great place to celebrate. And I really um, have found solace in underground scenes in San Francisco and even more so underground scenes in Melbourne. Melbourne is the place where I've met the most trans and non-binary people. It's really, really exciting because um, I guess in San Francisco, it's still such a big city with such, um, uh, you know, there's uh, RuPaul's Drag Race Queens who have come through there. There's um, still the mainstream kind of echelon of drag queens um, as, as there is in Melbourne. But that said, I think in Melbourne, there's some amazing um, club nights and performance nights that happen I really um, wish they could be more visible because who knows who else we're missing? Who else knows how many trans people would benefit from these spaces and the ability to know that being a, um, playing with gender, playing gender on stage isn't about making a mockery of a different gender. It, it's about even exploring parts of yourself. And it's about um, it, that, that key difference, right, between punching up and punching down. You know, I'll quickly explain it. Punching down means you're making fun of someone or an experience with less privilege than you. And punching up means you're making a joke perhaps that's criticising a dominant hegemonic mainstream full of power, notion or identity. And there's just that difference I wish um, for more people to understand and realise and realise that comedy doesn't need to be misogynistic, sexist, racist, homophobic, all those things. So at the end of the day, I am... Uh, I'm not sure what the future holds. Um, I think the future just needs to see um, more, for example, drag kings preferenced and platformed because drag queens still are the dominant, which comes down to, you know, men being dominant and holding lots of power in owning venues, in running shows. But I'm really heartened to see different yeah, institutions, different visibilities coming through um, and more drag kings and more just queer performers um, getting more and more notoriety. And that's the future I want to see because, yeah, it's... I'm sure even for the drag queens who are punching down so much and um, ha having this culture, maybe they don't realise there's other options too. Maybe they're just trying to follow in the footsteps of others that have come before them, trying to be successful, trying to get a laugh, get booked for the big gigs. But, um, yeah, I want a better world for all of us, to be honest. Both of you in some of these discussions have name-checked these ideas of toxic masculinity uh, that seem to be so dominant in so many of our discussions about gender and society. And uh, it brings to my mind, speaking about the performativity of gender, it brings to my mind the recent and very well publicised in the media study about sustainability and toxic masculinity, which found that a lot of men won't use recyclable or green shopping bags, won't use water bottles or keep cups, because they see it perceived as a gay or feminine trait, and they don't want to, they don't want to um, underwrite their own masculinity in that way. Uh, in regards to those ideas of performance and gender, and our everyday performances of gender, or trying to live up to the expectations of gender roles, can I hear you both speak a bit to that idea of how? daily gender activities or gendered roles are enacted by people, particularly in regards to your own relationships or journeys of overcoming toxic masculinity and society's relationship to it, because as we've heard, it has a huge impact on all our lives. Wow. 
Um, nice, easy question there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, especially as a trans guy and then before being a trans guy, a tomboy, um, I I mean, I'd notice it in primary school. I'd go down to, like, play soccer with the boys and they just wouldn't play rough on me and they'd be like, oh, why don't, why, why don't you push her? Because uh, she's a girl. Like... Why does it matter? Um, but, yeah, I've noticed that even still in high school and, um, yeah, just there is so much toxic masculinity and like you were saying with the recyclable bags, like I've noticed a lot of the guys won't come to the climate pro- protests um, and they'll, you know, say it's stupid. Um, uh, yeah, it's 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 a tricky conversation to have um but it's definitely affected my relationship with men um in a way and yeah I'm not really sure how to answer that question that's all right it's a very big question but I just suddenly (laughs) thought as as trans and gender diverse people we're often able to have unique perspectives on these issues of toxic masculinity, gender binary, performativity. Do you have any thoughts you'd like to throw into this Pandora's box that I've just opened? (laughs) Yeah, no, it's a really, really interesting and salient point you brought up. And what it makes me think of um, in particular is uh, when, yeah, drag kings or potentially transmasculine people are trying to find the masculinity, how easy it can be to fall into toxic masculinity. It's such a mire. Um, And it's also... It, uh, tricky because there could be this, this big standard where it's like, well, if you're transmasculine, um, if you're assigned female at birth, for example, like you, you can't be toxic masculinity. You, you, sh- you should know better than that. Um, so that's also a tricky um, standard for trans people, I think. Um, but look, I will comment on drag king culture too because I've got to say there are way too many instances I see of drag kings who are quite toxic. Um, who, whether it's embodying like, um, yeah, quite like, uh, again, toxic dynamics in their performances that aren't super punching up or helpful. Like they're actually just reinforcing um, like ideal, uh, negative, I'd say negative ideals of what's seen as sexy in men. So maybe they're just like actually championing, um, yeah, someone who's like pushy and not good with consent and like that's suave and desirable. And it's like, oh, that's really awkward. Like what a shame because we have such an opportunity here to um, redefine what's, what's sexy in a masculine way. That's one thing. The next thing is, um, but even that, like, I think in an effort to um, so, to be seen for a, a masculine side, sometimes us as drag kings and transmasculine people um, can even be toxic in our personal lives. And it, it's just something I want to see addressed within our community. Um, so my answer to that being, I think toxic masculinity, um, yeah, bleeds into our experiences and weighs on us too, as we're trying to navigate How do we express our masculinity? How do we have a positive masculinity? I can imagine even with your example of, you know, green bags and keep cups, what if someone who's transmasculine feels like they, yeah, even though they care about sustainability, they're trying so hard to be seen for who they are that they're going to get that disposable cup. Um, And that's not that trans person's fault as such. It's the society's fault, right? And the um, prevalent discourses. So, um, man, I wish cis men would work harder at breaking down these toxic norms so that it's easier for trans people too. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Um, I've definitely noticed a lot of pressure to act a certain way. If you if you want to be known as a boy, then you need to um, be a man. Um, and it's just yeah, it's not how it should be. But um, 
Yeah, I've definitely noticed in the way that other guys treat me um, is much different than they do with the other boys. Um, yeah, which is difficult. I'm not really sure. Mm. Ongoing process, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Leading from that question, I want to ask you both, as artists, as people with public public uh, platforms and as emerging leaders in our art forms as well as in the world of gender and trans and gender diverse politics, how does it feel to have that burden in the same way that that question that we just struggled through, how does it feel to always have the burden of political engagement, of wokeness, of responsibility to community, of giving the right message, of never slipping up? How does it feel to always be carrying that burden as a trans and gender diverse person moving through the world and as a performer uh, living on stage? What is that like and how do you navigate it? Are there any easy answers or what possible future endeavours or answers can you imagine to solve that problem of that kind of burden? Uh, you can go first. Okay. I'll, I'll go first um, to say I'm personally okay with the burden because I think I saw that that's a bit of what comes with um, being a thought leader. And to be honest, for me personally, I am passionate about social change and activism. So I was more wanting to become an artist so I could have a platform to keep on pushing the dial on these issues. I think I've said before, so in, um, I'm in a five-minute documentary on ABC Ivy called Danny Boy. I speak about um, being okay with being at the pointy end of social change because I have the relative privileges that afford me to get there, including the academic privilege to have understood a lot of politics. Um, my personal approach to this is um, as long as um, we are really listening to people and okay with being called out and given feedback, that can make that process easier. Um, it is a big magnifying glass and, and microscope though. It's, it can be tricky. And I, um, but honestly, I think that it's, I'm, I'm mostly proud of the responsibility I have. And I do wish other artists who have a platform who um, speak to diversity, speak to wanting to see a more uh, inclusive world could, could keep being accountable at least to each other as peers. So I, I hear what you're saying and it, and it can be really tricky sometimes, but I'm, um, this whole time I've been speaking about the immense um, validation and privileges I get through having a platform. So I'm personally taking on that responsibility um, and weight with it. Can I interject to ask, are you able then or do you have a way or process of separating the responsibility that you carry as an artist and as a, as a leader compared to the weight or the burden of personally just existing as a gender diverse person in the world, walking around, being in the supermarket, people asking questions on the bus, this kind of thing. Are you compartmentalising those as two separate things or are you just embracing the whole thing as, as a relative balancing act between the privileges you have and the responsibilities you carry? Mm. I like that you've reframed it in my question from burden to responsibility, which mm. is such a healthy way of looking at it. Thanks, so Alto, and I really want to acknowledge that's just how I'm currently looking at it and maybe one day that will change too, but, and I'm sure I'm not speaking for everyone. Let me, let me see. To answer that question, I'd say if... Um, so being, being hyper-visible as uh, a gender-diverse person and anti-racist activist, yeah, I do get a lot of questions and queries, but 
for me, then I get to point them to my work. I get to say, well, come to the Cocoa Butter Club. You'll get to learn more there. Read this article. Um, and I hope that when other people who maybe aren't public figures get asked these questions, they could also point to my work or the spaces I'm creating because I'm really passionate about, yes, people be able to learn and take on learning, but there's so much out there with the internet now and I'm proud to be part of so many events. And I just want people to, yeah, come to, come to those and like, um, yes, compartmentalise the labour, honestly. So it, it is um, tricky socially sometimes when um, you're out and about and people expect certain things of you because they know you for, for that as well. Um, but uh, just about maybe communicating that and drawing some boundaries too. So mm. hope that answers the question. No, it's really interesting answer. Oh, cool. Casper, um, how about you on these ideas of the burden of representing or the burden of presenting people with answers or of keeping up with the constant changing, shifting dialogue around transness and just the public visibility and platform of being an artist and how that affects you? Yeah. Um, I'm actually in a show called Body of Knowledge um, where... Um, teenagers call in from their bedrooms um, to the audience um, and you ask an audience member questions about uh, anything. So it could be about the body, it could be about sex, could be about gender, identity or sexuality. Um, And I've noticed when I talk to these people about my transition that they are so curious Um, and that really inspired me to educate people more on this because people really, really do want to know, just don't really know how to get to that and get to the education. So, um, yeah, I actually would really like to make a show about um, what it's like to be trans um, and gender diverse, so, yeah. Yeah, and I'll maybe jump off that to say um, this is so heartening for me to hear and we're both, me and Casper are both here being like we are creating shows, we're here even on this podcast talking about these issues. There's so many resources out there and we're constantly creating these things. I think it's nice because I have the luxury of saying, yeah, go find that thing I think I said instead or or even like, please don't ask me this right now because actually I usually get paid to talk yeah. about this. So yeah. It feels like work right now. And um, I, I genuinely do wish that most people could, um, could just triage that because I get people wanting to know, but um, thankfully more and more we're seeing, so even in this festival, that representation and the ability to talk about these topics, yeah. Fantastic answers. So we just have about 10 minutes left. There's a question that we did start 10 minutes late. So let's split the difference and do a five, five more minutes. Um, before we wrap up today, I have two things that I would love to hear from you both. The first is, what would be your three vital pieces of advice for young people in the arts exploring gender and identity? based on your experiences and your journey, what are the things you would like them to know and which hopefully they'll hear through this podcast? Um, Really experiment with um, everything. Experiment with um, your expressions, the way you dress and really find what's comfortable for you Um, and seeing how people react to that and finding the most healthy reaction and sticking to that. Yeah. Three and three? That's oh, three. So that's one experiment. Oh, that's you one. get two we more. We We're being yeah, generous yeah, with our listen. advice today. <laughs> it's lovely. Yeah. Oh, that was similar to my first mm. thought. I love that one. Um, yeah. The, my first tip would be um, 
kind of that saying of, you know, be yourself because everyone else is taken, but it's so true. Like, um, again, it kind of makes me think of what we were just talking about in terms of drag and drag queens and mainstream culture. Like there's so many people trying to be, oh, being um, this same kind of drag queen, for example. What's really beautiful and impactful is, yeah, finding that so specific things that that person is passionate about and, you know, posting that on social media or, or expressing that on stage. Um, so, and taking the chance just to be like, cool, what makes me me? What dri- drives me? Because when you're working into your passion, it will show and people will, will really love that. Yeah. So we've got experiment. We've got be yourself and find your passion. Um, and being alone, I think, is really helpful. Um, I've noticed when I was changing, in the process of changing my name, uh, a lot of people, like I would uh, blurge out a name being like, how about this name? And everyone, like some people would be like, yeah, and some would be like, no, not into it. So that actually was like really hard for me because I didn't want to disappoint anyone. Um, uh, so I think it's really good to, you know, find your own space and find find what's good to you and um, not everyone's opinion is like that good for you. Yeah. It's nice to hear someone giving people permission to centre themselves yeah. in their own decisions yeah, about important. their own lives. Because that's a completely opposite message that we get from mainstream culture mm. and political rhetoric. Yeah, for sure. So your second item of advice. Great. It would be um, <clears throat> That in terms of drag, uh, me and a lot of I know a lot of my peers feel like drag should be like should be able to be like a karaoke night. I love karaoke, uh, the concept at least. Not everyone has to like getting up and singing, but the fact that you can go along and actually just try some different songs out and have it be a night out with friends or a space with friends. Um, I think drag, yeah, shouldn't have to be just like in order to make money or in order to lead to certain finesse. Um, it can be uh, play and it can be exploration with friends and yeah, creating as many spaces and opportunities to do that. And even if that's alone in your bedroom, fantastic. So yeah, really thinking of it, um, drag, yeah, can be, you know, could be RuPaul's Drag Race or could be on stage or it could also just be um, the different ways we play and express ourselves. And the third item from Casper. Yeah, um, I think it's really important not to feel pressured to um, act a certain way or don't feel the pressure. If you're having a really bad day, day, don't go to school. Like it's okay to have time off and to really think about who you are and how you feel. Um, And it's really important to talk about it as well, yeah. So experiment... Let yourself be yourself and find your passions. Trust your own instincts and don't always crowdsource. Life is like a karaoke bar. Yes. <laughs> take, take your own time and your own time out. And the final piece of advice. Um, gender presentation um, and play can be really fun, but it's not the be all and end all. It's like really about who you are on, on the inside and, you, you know, you, you don't have to change yourself, especially to please others. And also you've got your whole life to um, explore different parts of yourself. Um, yeah, it's really tempting to, um, yeah, for example, pursue androgyny if you want to be seen as non-binary or whatever it is. But look, at the end of the day, um, yeah, the only person you really have to be happy with is yourself, for yourself. Uh, and that can be hard. I can only say that so many times. But um, that, there's, yeah, plenty of time to, to figure it out. That's okay. That's so heartwarming. That's really beautiful. So 
To wrap up today's uh, session and this podcast that you're listening to at home on public transport or wherever it is you choose to listen to good podcasts, I want to ask both of you what is coming up with in mind any embargoes or secret projects that can't be talked about yet. For both of you, what are your next upcoming projects, performances, things you're excited about, things we should look out for in the next 12 months that we might see you in? Honestly, I'm not really sure. Um, I'm 15. I'm in year nine. I'm still figuring it all out. You know what I so mean? So in the next 12 months, we'll be seeing you in year 10. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just going to work on school, I guess. <laughs> wow, when I was told that I would be interviewing emerging leaders today, I didn't take into account just how emerging. But <laughs> So in light of that, congratulations on everything you've discussed today. Thank you. I feel like the future's in good hands. <laughs> um, Danny, what upcoming, other than the Cocoa Butter Club, of course, your ongoing endeavour, what other things might we be seeing you uh, performing in or engaging with? Thank you. Well, I really recommend, yes, keeping in touch with the Cocoa Butter Club, um, checking in a like on Facebook, seeing what's coming up. I'm collaborating with yourself, Mama Alto, on an upcoming um, Queer People of Colour Festival. So excited. Um, but look... Danny Boy, um, yeah, I, I perform now and then. Uh, people can find me on Instagram, um, A-F-A-B underscore U-L-O-U-S, so A-Fabulous. Um, and that's, I just take it as it comes. Honestly, I also have a full-time job that I love. And um, for me, drag is so important, but also I'm keen on often not making it my only income stream or career so that I can keep enjoying it um, because it is such a precious part of myself too. So that's where I'm currently at. Um, so always open for opportunities, but um, yeah, just um, yeah, taking it as it comes and also just passionate about making a platform for other people to perform, which is why the Cocoa Butter Club is so important to me. And actually I've just realised we have to ask, is We All Know What's Happening continuing to tour over the next little while? <laughs> I don't think I'm supposed to say anything. But. Oh, okay. That's the embargoed bit. <laughs> so if you're but. listening to this down the track, uh, listening to this podcast, just make sure you regularly Google that show. We all know what's happening and see if it happens to be touring to a town near you in the future. Who knows? <laughs> and uh, so many giggles in the room from people in the know about the things we shouldn't be discussing. <laughs> so I want to thank you both again. Danny Weber, a.k.a. Danny Boy, drag activist, community organiser and artist, Casper Plum, theatre maker, performer, high school student, as, as we've just learned. Um, if people want to keep up to date with either of your work, where should they look? Where can they find you or... Uh, or anything like that, anything else that you'd like to plug while you've got the stage? Oh, thanks so much, Mama Alto. I already said a bit, otherwise, dannyboy.com.au. You can follow me on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. And what's the name of the company that produces, um, for those who are interested in uh, following the progress of We All Know What's Happening, what's the name of the production company they should be looking for? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I... I <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're just a group of people that got together. Yeah, so they um, should just search for we all know what's yeah, happening. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Casper, um, what's your handle? My handle? Yeah, on Instagram. Oh, Casper Casper oh, dot plum. Lovely. Yes. Thank you. Amazing. So just to reiterate again, everyone who's here today and everyone listening to the podcast, this has been episode three of Critical Conversations Transcending Gender here at Future Echoes, the inaugural Future Echoes Festival in collaboration with the Emerging Writers Festival, 
Digital Writers Festival and Arts Centre Melbourne, where we are recording live from Wurundjeri and Bunurong country. I've been your host, Mama Alto, and we've been hearing amazing insights from the emerging leaders and artistic wunderkinds that are Casper Plum and Danny Weber. Thank you so much. We've got a couple more events as Future Echoes Festival and Critical Conversations across the weekend. And look out next year for next year's edition of Future Echoes and Digital Writers Festival. Thanks so much for listening. Remember to check out the full Digital Writers Festival program at 2019.digitalwritersfestival.com. Drop us a review, recommend us to a friend and hit subscribe wherever you like to listen to your podcasts. Critical Conversations was curated by me, Ruby Rose Pivot Marsh, the associate producer at Emerging Writers Festival, as part of Art Centre Melbourne's inaugural Future Echoes Festival. This episode was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge that First Nations peoples are the first storytellers of this land and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and to the elders of the lands that this podcast reaches.